So this is Psalm chapter 139. I prayed this memorial service, what passage to bring to you, and I settled on this one. This is one of two passages that come to mind most frequently when I am driving to a hospital to visit someone who's been hospitalized or who's going through uh, a difficult situation. I'll pray on my way there, you know, what passage can I bring and read that might be of comfort and shed some light on the situation? And probably the first passage that comes to mind is the one that Martha read, chapter uh, 8 of Romans. And then this one's probably the second one that comes to mind, Psalm chapter 139. Many of you have been in the hospital and I visited you and you might remember me reading this psalm or parts of this psalm while you were there. And so this is the, the one for us. It's, it's one of the most comforting passages in all the Bible, I think. And so I hope that you're comforted by it this morning on, on this memorial service. It reminds us that God is close and that God cares. God is very close to us and God cares about us. Uh, Simple truths, but truths that we need to be reminded of often. Especially if we're going through grief, if we've experienced loss and we're experiencing mourning. Uh, But in this fallen world, even if you have not lost a loved one in recent years, or if you've never lost a loved one, I can guarantee that you have experienced sadness and sorrow and pain because this world's just so messed up by sin that we suffer and we struggle we experience loneliness regret conflict adversity stress fear all these things are common to the human experience here in this fallen world and then again even if you're doing just fine right now some of you are thinking well this sermon isn't for me i'm actually having a great week i'm doing really well the psalms cover all of these things. The Psalms are, it's a, it's a collection of poems and songs that God gathered together to help his people relate to him through all the ups and downs of life. And so even within individual Psalms, chapters of the book of Psalm, you'll experience great highs and great lows, and you'll see that God has given us language to relate to him during whatever might be going on. If you're praising him or if you're in pain, The Psalms are helpful to us. So let's begin. Psalm chapter 139 at verse 1. It's a psalm of David. It was written for the choir master, so this was meant to be sung. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to preach it. I think we're all better off that way. He opens this psalm addressing God, just marveling at how well God knows him. And that's where we'll join him here in verse 1. We'll read the first six verses, and then we'll go back to verse 1 and look at it a little more closely. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Going back to verse 1, where we'll look at it a little bit more closely, I really just have one very simple sermon point for you this morning, and that is that God knows you. God knows you. That's a relatively straightforward truth, and we could end the sermon right there, and I think you would understand basically what I mean, but let's think about it a little bit more deeply though. This passage is teaching that God knows you, 
but not the way you know facts. You know a lot of facts. You're smart people. You know, for example, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Great. You know that. Uh, you know what the capital of North Carolina is. Raleigh. You know that. You know some things. But knowing those facts is not the same as knowing people. You know people in a different way than you know facts. And even within your knowledge of people, there's, there's different ways of knowing people. So there's a lot of people that you know of. Like you, you know of Theodore Roosevelt. You know of Steven Spielberg. Like you know of these people, but you've never met them. You maybe have experienced some effects of their work, and you may have read a lot about them in history books. You may know a lot about them, be familiar with their name, but you don't know them personally. And even within the category of people that you know personally, there's different ways of knowing people. There are some people that you know just like acquaintances. You probably know some of the cashiers at the grocery store that you frequent. Like We know a lot of the cashiers at Aldi very well. It seems like we go multiple times per day often because I'll forget to get something. I know them at that level, but that's different from how I know my immediate family members. That's a whole other level of knowing people. There's some people that you know personally, closely, intimately, This is the way parents know their children and children know their parents and siblings know one another and spouses know one another and close personal friends know each other. Now, we're getting closer to the way God knows you, but we still haven't reached it yet. God knows you in a way that is deeper and more profound than all of these combined. God, it says there in verse 1, searches us. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. That word searched is a penetrating and intimate examination and investigation. This is more like what a detective would do, or a doctor, or a spy, or an explorer. This is not passive knowledge. This is active, intentional, even aggressive knowledge. God aggressively, thoroughly knows his people. He searches them and knows them. As we read on in the verse 2, he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. In other words, he, he knows our activities and he knows our patterns. He knows all of them. Now you might say, well, anybody can pick up on that. I kind of know my neighbors' comings and goings. I kind of know when they go to bed and when they get up. Well, let's read on to the next part. You discern my thoughts from afar. God knows your musings and your brainstormings and your internal dialogue and your planning and your ideas and your schemes. If you're phasing out a little bit right now and your mind's wandering off, he knows what's going on in your mind when you may don't, you might not even know what you were just thinking before you realized that I mentioned that you were wandering off in your mind. Sometimes in the car, we'll be driving along, especially on a long trip, and I'll realize that my kids are just kind of phased out, you know, just looking out the window like you used to do when you were a kid. And I like to catch them when they're not thinking. I say, hey, what are you thinking right now? Because I'm just so interested. I want to know, like, what's going on in their minds? Well, God knows what you're thinking right now. He knows our thoughts. He discerns them. He sifts through them. He knows them from afar. He goes on in verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down. That, that is to say he knows all of our lives. He knows our direction that we're going. He knows everything about us. He says, you are acquainted with all my ways. 
He's familiar with all of your ways, all of your habits, your preferences, your disposition, your direction in life, your relational styles. Some of you consider yourselves introverts. Some of you consider yourselves extroverts. God knows all about that. He knows that you're, you're an introvert who can function as an extrovert when you need to, but it exhausts you. He knows all about that stuff. He knows more about you than a Myers-Briggs personality test could tell you about yourself. He knows if you're a chocolate person or a vanilla person or a cat person or a dog person and why, even better than you know why. He understands all your taste buds and why they seem to respond better to chocolate than vanilla, other than the fact that you're really smart and that's the better flavor. He knows the presets on your radio. He knows your search history in Google. He knows you better than Jeff Bezos knows you. He knows what's hidden in that box in the back of your closet. He doesn't just know your past, and he doesn't just know what's going on in the present. He also knows the you of the future. The you of next week that you haven't met yet, he already knows. He says, as we go on in verse 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So he doesn't just know what you're thinking and what you're saying. He knows what you're going to be thinking and what you're going to be saying. And that's staggering in and of itself. Do you have any idea how many words we speak and type and text? Occasionally, I'll need to refer back to something that Meredith and I have texted about, like yesterday, and I'll think, well, I'll just scroll back to it. It'll just take a second. And I am shocked at how much we have talked by text. It's like I settle in with a cup of coffee for an hour and just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and finally, I get to what we talked about yesterday. God knows all of that very, very closely, very, very intimately. Now, let's stop here for a moment at the end of verse 4. Is all this comforting or is all this terrifying? Is it comforting to know that God knows you in this searchingly penetrating way? Or is it terrifying to know that God knows you in this searchingly penetrating way? When you're driving down the road and you look in your rearview mirror and see a state trooper right behind you, is that comforting or terrifying? Well, it all depends on what you're doing at the, at the time. It all depends on what, where the speedometer is at on the dashboard. Now, if you're cruising along, obeying the laws of the land, and everything's fine, it's comforting because you know he's going to get all the reckless drivers around you, but you're safe. But if you're breaking the law, it's terrifying because you know he's going to get you. And when we're honest with ourselves and we look at a passage like this and we remember that God is omniscient, he knows everything, and God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, that's a pretty terrifying fact because, as the Bible teaches, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How can anyone stand up to this kind of scrutiny? I can't, and neither can you. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is why the Bible teaches that most people suppress the truth about God. It's just too terrifying to acknowledge the reality of an omniscient, omnipresent, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly just God who is this engaged with his creation. It seems safer or easier to just dismiss him or distract ourselves from him or ignore him than to think clearly about him. But that's why we're here today is to think clearly about him. And the good news is that God has made a way 
for sinners like us to be reconciled to him so that his penetrating, close, attentive nature toward us isn't terrifying anymore, but it's comforting now. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we've all failed to live and died the death that we all deserve, so that everyone who would trust in him could be forgiven of all their sins, completely washed clean, clean slate, clean record before a holy God, and now his closeness and presence is our greatest comfort, whereas it would have been our greatest terror. And so we can read this psalm with joy and not fear. Now, if anyone in here is not a Christian, I want to urge you to become a Christian and trust in Jesus Christ today because I want us all to be able to rejoice in what is taught here in Psalm 139. And when we do, when we're reconciled to God, we don't have to turn away from these truths. We can let the train of thought continue to carry us on like he does into verse 5. Verse 5 says, You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. God is not disinterested or distant or disconnected from us. Many of us had disinterested and distant fathers, and we read into our relationship with God, the Father, our relationship with our human fathers, and we mistakenly think that that's how he operates. God is never distant, and he's never disinterested in his children. He's always close, and he's always interested. He's always attentive. He hems us in. That word means he encircles us. It's usually used in more of a battle sense, like he's um, besieging. He's, he's uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but surrounding, uh, almost like an enemy. But in this case, it's used positively. He's, he's wrapping his arms around us. He's encircling us. He's crowding us in with his attentive presence. You don't have to climb a high mountain to experience God's presence, and you don't have to go on a pilgrimage anywhere. He's right here. He's right with you all the time. And it says, his hand is upon us, and you lay your hand upon me. This is an, an anthropomorphism. God the Father doesn't have a physical hand like we do, but imagine that he did. What do you think the hand of God the Father would look like if he did have a physical hand? Now, obviously, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God, and he did have physical hands. But if you, if you picture just God, God the Father, Holy Spirit, Son, physical hand, what would that look like? Can you imagine the strength of it and the warmth of it? Imagine that hand on your shoulder, like a fatherly hand on the shoulder, guiding you, protecting you, just expressing to you, I'm here with you. That's what we enjoy as God's people, God's hand upon us. Which leads us to our final verse, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The fact that an omniscient God isn't just aware of me, but that he searchingly knows me is too high and lofty for me to understand. The fact that an omnipresent God isn't just generally around me like the air is around me, but that he's intentionally around me, attentively around me with his hand upon me is too lofty. I can't fully grasp that. Neither can he and neither can you. But here it is for us, and we can meditate on this, and we can take a lot of comfort from this, especially when we reflect on our losses and our grief and our mourning and our pain. And I just want to share just three brief applications of this text to us today on this memorial service, and then we'll light the memorial candles. 
The first one is just real simple. When you feel lonely, you're not actually alone. God is right there with you. Now, I know that can seem difficult to to get a handle on because he's not there with you in a physical way, but all the Christian life is getting used to the intangibles becoming more real to us than the tangibles. Because one day, Jesus is going to return, and the Bible teaches that heaven and earth are going to melt away, and what's going to be revealed is that these intangible aspects of our relationship with God were actually the solid, eternal things all along. It's kind of like when you get absorbed into a TV show or a movie, and you, if you, especially when you were younger. As you get older, it's harder to get this absorbed into anything, but when you're younger, you get really absorbed into it, and then somebody trips over the power cord and unplugs the TV, and it goes off all of a sudden and you have to adjust for a minute to actual reality, when Jesus returns, that's what it's going to be like. We're going to have to adjust to the fact that our relationship with God was the real thing, and all this was very, very temporary. And so when I tell you that when you feel alone because you're physically not present with your loved one, but that God is with you, that's not just hallmark, sentimental, greeting card, you know, buck up, it'll be okay. That, that's real. God's presence is real. It's the, it's the most real, the most eternal presence. And he's with us. He is attentively with us. He is attentively with you, even in your most lonely moments. Secondly, when no one else seems like they can understand you, God understands you. I know that many of you have experienced loss and grief that I have never experienced. And so it, Really, I can't empathize with what you are experiencing. I can sympathize, but I haven't experienced it myself. So I don't, until you've experienced it, and you who have experienced it, you know that until you've experienced it, there's no way you can really understand what it's like to have lost someone so close and so important to you. And you might feel alone in that. You might feel like, well, nobody really understands. But God does understand. He is interested wants to understand. He wants to know you, and he does know you. So you're not the only one that knows what you're going through. God does. He searches you, and he knows you. And then third, this one's a... Well, when you lose someone that's very close to you, you don't just lose that person. You also lose their knowledge of you. I know you're going to have to follow my train of thought here. So my, my grandpa Broadway lived across the field from me my whole life. And he was, if anything, he was consistent. And what I mean by that was whenever I saw him, I know exactly what he was going to say, exactly how he was going to respond to me. He's, he's going to have a smile on his face, even though he was a hard, gruff, working outside his whole life kind of guy. And he was going to make some joke about the fact that I was lazy and I didn't work hard enough. I can just, I knew that's what he was going to say. I knew every Christmas he was going to give me and all my cousins work gloves as our gift. And then he was going to make jokes about how we probably still have the ones from last year still in the package because we don't ever do any work like he did work. It was all good natured, and, and that's, that's how he related to me and all my cousins, my brother. Now, when he died, he was my final grandparent uh, to die. And when he died, I didn't just lose my grandfather, I lost the last person who looked at me as their grandson. The last person who knew me through that lens was gone. And so there's this weird double loss there. 
you don't just lose the person, you lose that relationship and you lose the way they look at you, the way they know you. I think that's one of those things that we don't talk about as often, but, but really is part of why the pain is so deep. We don't just lose a daughter, we lose someone who looked at us as a mother. We don't just lose a father, we lose someone who looked at us as their son or their daughter. We don't just lose a sister, we lose a person who looked at us like a sibling, like a brother, like a sister. We don't just lose a wife, we lose someone who knew us as their husband. This is... This is incredibly profound because the knowledge of one another is some of the highest stuff that we can be, can participate in, in the human experience. And I bring all that up, not just to make everybody feel extra sad and lousy, but because I think it connects to this psalm so well, and this psalm connects to this so well. All that we enjoy by being fully known by someone else and still loved in spite of what they know about us, all that we enjoy, it turns out, is actually a shadow of the real thing. And the substance is God's knowledge of us. That's what we will enjoy with him throughout all eternity, getting to know him better and better and better, and him completely, thoroughly knowing us and still loving us. And so we can find comfort in these verses, even in the experience of loss like I just described. God still knows you. And the goodness that you experienced in these relationships, it was good because it was a foretaste of this. I was going to preach this entire chapter. It's 24 verses long, and we just made it through six verses. And so I decided this morning to stop here. And we'll go ahead and light our candles here. But first I want to pause and just have some time in prayer. And when we light these candles, they'll be, uh, we'll read the names, and at each name, a, a representative or the family who is here for that individual will come and light a candle. It's just a visible, physical expression of our gratitude to God for these people. But let it be for all of us sort of a visible and physical expression of our, our determination to experience this relationship with God described in this psalm. We all need it regardless of what our life circumstances are right now, whether we are here and we are still in grief and mourning or not. This is what all of our hearts are longing for. So let's pray and then we'll light the candles. Father, thank you so much for your holy inspired word. It is sharp like a double-edged sword. It cuts right down to joints and marrow. It, It gets right to the point and things that we would never think of otherwise. I thank you that you are a God who is attentive and present and cares about us and knows us and searches us. Thank you that you're not like the the God of the, the deist who set this all up like a watchmaker designing a watch and then just stepped away never to return. Thank you for Jesus Christ and making a way for sinners like me to be made right with you. Lord, I pray for us all now as we're about to light these candles that you would draw each and every one of us close to you through Jesus Christ so that we could experience the the safety and comfort and peace of knowing you but also of being known by you. In Jesus' name, amen.